Well, good morning. My name is Chris, and we're so glad that you're here. It's, uh, we got people inside today, so that's good. Someone asked me, are you going to be nervous preaching to people? And I'm like, no, it's going to be good. Uh, it's great to have people in here, and we're also so glad that you're, if you're not in here, that you're online, and we're so glad about that. God has been so gracious to us over the last few months in the midst of this COVID thing, all the different stuff going on, where God has really expanded our reach. Uh, because of the online campus, and it's been so good to hear from people and see what God's doing in their hearts and lives, that those that are already a part of Crosspoint, but those that have found Crosspoint because of this time. One of the things that I was thinking about, about this song, My Hallelujah, this past week, just talking to different people and thinking about it and praying about it, one of the things that God has just reverberated within my heart and soul over this week in the midst of all this craziness and chaos is Psalm 23. And the passage, part of that passage where it says, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's really what, where we're at in this moment is there's this sense of darkness, there's a sense of shadows, there's a sense of oppression, there's a sense of anxiety and depression and all this stuff that's kind of going on because of the season. And so maybe for the first time in a long time, we're truly understanding what it means to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and to have to lean into and to trust the shepherd. And that the beauty of that passage is that you walk through the valley of the shadow of death because as followers of Jesus, it's just a shadow. It's not reality. And that the great shepherd takes us through the valley of the shadow of death and the the difficult places that we need to go because on the other side is where the best grassland is for us to graze and to sit and to rest. That the great shepherd has a place for us to sit beside quiet waters and great grass and just to rest in him and that we don't have to do it. We don't have to find it. He's already been there. He knows the route. He's not surprised by COVID-19. He's not surprised by social unrest. He's not surprised by all these things. And so he's moving us through the shadow of darkness so that he can take us to the place where we need to be. So for some of us, this has been a time of you've paused, you've reflected, you've spent more time in God's word than you've spent in a long time. You've spent more time on your knees than you've ever spent before. You've spent more time looking up and asking why and what and how and who than you've ever done before. And this is a part of the process of walking through the the valley of the shadow of death as you realize I'm not in control, which means you're not God. And so that is the beautiful thing. So my hallelujah is I can sing hallelujah even if I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death because I know that my shepherd is leading me. His staff and his rod will comfort me and bring discipline so that I can get to the place that he has prepared for me in that place of rest and restoration and to drink deep from the waters, the living waters that God has for us. That's bonus, all right? So this morning we're thinking about Project Restoration and this idea of God has called us to restoration and, and, and to be revived in this time. And as we move back into school and all the different things that, that you're thinking about, I've been looking at people's social media and uh, we're all over the map. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, if you're a new believer, whatever it may be, that there's people's feelings and thoughts and ideas are all over the place. And I can tell, just I don't have to be a great psychologist, but I can tell that we are struggling with this time. 
from the posts that I'm seeing of please don't judge me by the decisions that I make and all the different stuff that we're doing and we're thinking, listen, this is what Nehemiah was struggling with and thinking about was Nehemiah was leading. God had given him a vision and he went to go do it. And along the way, there were critics of that vision. And so basically what I've been seeing from some of you is I have made a decision to wear a mask or not wear a mask, to send my kids to school or to homeschool my kids, and, and whatever it may be, and we're voicing all this different stuff. And the deal is, is that you have clarity of where you need to be, but you're feeling the criticism from around you. And so for some reason or another, we've got to voice it. And this is where we're at in the passage of Nehemiah is... He's already done the assessment. He's already done the observation. He's moving forward. He's begun the process. And the very moment that you begin the process of restoring, there's going to be criticism. So this morning, that's where we jump into the passage in Nehemiah chapter 4. Criticism begins in the restoration with Nehemiah's project. Whether you're leading a church, whether you're leading a business, whether you're leading a country, whether you're leading a home, whether you're leading yourself, the moment that you begin the restoration project, people are going to begin to criticize. Why are you doing it this way? How come you're not doing this diet? How come you're not doing this workout? How come you chose this carpet? How come you did this? All the different things that the moment you begin to lead and to do things, people will find reasons to chirp in and to find opposition to you. Nehemiah's story is one that, he heard the story of his brother and some friends came back from the city of Jerusalem and they told him the story that the walls were broken down. And so immediately that broke Nehemiah's heart and the first question that he asked himself, God, what am I to do? Because in that moment, he was just a cupbearer. He had no authority. He had no ability to solve it, to be a part of the solution. So he was just broken over and asked the question, God, what am I to do? And so he began to, to pray and observe and then he had the difficult task of going to his boss and saying, hey, boss, I know you can take my life for this question, this request, but I need time off. I need your money and your supplies, and I need your authority. So I need to be able to go and act as if I'm the king to a people that I've never seen, to a land that I've never been. Can I have that? And he says, yes. He, took, he understood what it was going to cost him, and he was willing to, to fight for that because he was so broken over the city walls. And to us, we think, what in the world is just city walls? But to him and to the people of that day, the walls were symbolic of God's peace and security because those walls not only surrounded the city, but they surrounded the temple and the place of worship. And so there wasn't able to come and go and to freely go into worship without critics and without attacks and without opposition. And so Nehemiah knew that to bring the wall back would, one, it would raise the people up and they'd be like, yes, look what God's doing in our midst, but also that people could freely and securely worship like they had done in the past. It was a reminder of who God was. So that was the call on Nehemiah's life. So over the last few weeks, we've been asking this question, what is broken in your world that needs fixing? What's broken in your world that needs fixing? Whether it's your finances, your relationship, it's your work, it's your health, whatever it may be, what is it that's broken that needs fixing? See, Nehemiah had gotten to this place in the vision. One, he had had a sense of there was a problem and he found a solution that God had led him to. And then 
He began to present when he got to the city walls, as we found out last week, he began to present the reasons to do it, and not only to do it and to rebuild it, but to rebuild it now. This was a a now thing, not five years, not ten years. This was an immediate thing so we can begin to do the other stuff that we needed to do to rebuild as well. What's broken in your world that needs fixing? Look at Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashab, those are some great names, right? Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priest started to rebuild at the sheep gate. Now, I don't know about you, I'm kind of a priest, and I never get invited to rebuild things. Why? Because I'm not skilled at it. These guys weren't skilled at it as well, but they had caught the vision of Nehemiah to rebuild the wall, and they took a break from their regular duties to go to the sheep gate and start to rebuild it. That's what happens when people catch a vision for something that's bigger than themselves, bigger than their careers, bigger than their jobs. They go and they do it and they jump into it. And so here in Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1, we see that the priests lead out. And if you, we don't have time this morning. But if in your own time, if you were to read chapter 3, you would see and so and so and so and so. And there's a lot of heaves and hobs and hucks and stuff in there that they're away from bakers and plumbers and custodians and all the other things that they do. And they step in to other roles for temporarily so they can rebuild the wall because they've caught a vision for what God has for them. They're not builders, but they're available and committed to the vision. So you read all the way through Nehemiah chapter 3 and then look at Nehemiah 3, verse 31 and 32, the last part of that. Malchiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the wall as far as the housing for the temple, the servants and the merchants across from the inspection gate. Then he continued as far as the upper room at the corner. Then the other goldsmiths and merchants repaired the wall from the corner to the sheep gate. And so we're seeing all in Nehemiah that the priest started at one side of the sheep gate and all the way around all those people began to rebuild the wall. Then you see at the end of Nehemiah 3 that these other guys jumped in, these goldsmiths. Again, they're not builders. They're the guys that are building jewelry and doing other things. They're on the other end, and so you can see all of these people together day after day getting up for 52 days to go rebuild a wall that wasn't a part of their daily job. These people were a part of rebuilding a wall, and they weren't qualified to do it. They were just called to do it. And we see in Nehemiah that they did it with all of their heart, that there's a sense of they were encouraged by it, that they received encouragement of their heart to go do something that they weren't qualified to do, but they were called for a specific season to do it. It was the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. Y'all remember that song? Rub-a-dub-dub in the tub? Okay, yeah. Get you going. So those guys, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker, were there together saying, this isn't normally what we do, but God's called us to rebuild the wall And we're behind it 100%. And for 52 days, miraculously, they rebuilt the wall from rubble to a wall that was standing. And all of this time, they're going about it. And then we look at chapter 4, verse 1. In the midst of all of what's happening, look at chapter 4, verse 1. Sanballat, it's a really cool name, name your kid that, was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews. When you get a vision to bring about change and to fix what is broken, expect opposition. 
The moment that you begin to do work and there is something that's changing and people begin to to find Christ and lives begin to transform and you begin to lose weight and you begin to get free in your finances and all the different things that happen, expect opposition. The moment, why? Because the outsiders are not happy with their own life and they're looking at your transformation and they want to bring you into their misery. And here there's opposition from the outside, from Sam Ballot and Tobias and all these other guys, and they're seeing that for centuries they've been able to attack and they've kept the Jews down and they've been able to say, hey, look, you're not good enough, you're not qualified, you don't have what it takes to rebuild the wall. And then all of a sudden this guy from another place comes in and says, look, this is what God wants us to do. And they begin to rebuild it and all of a sudden they're like, what in the world? And they get angry because they're going to lose their power and authority. Sembal and Tobias and these guys had had authority over people. They didn't have to do anything. They just said, hey, you're not qualified. You're dumb. You're stupid. You're a goldsmith. You're a plumber, a baker, a candlestick maker. You're not a wall builder. And for so long they bought into it. How many different voices do you hear that tell you that you're not a child of God? That you're not good enough? That God, surely he couldn't love you. If he knew all of your mess, if he knew all of your junk, if he knew all of your PG, okay, all of your stuff, surely he couldn't love you. So for some of us, we're Christians and we've said yes to Jesus, but we're still working to earn something. Because you have this voice that says you're junk. You're not quite good enough. And in that, that keeps you from the depth of the relationship, the intimacy of the relationship with the Father. You've allowed yourself, God's allowed you, think God has allowed you into the room with him, but surely he wouldn't let you sit at the dinner table with him. Surely he wouldn't allow you to sit at the same menu and to have dinner with him or to even, goodness forbid, that you would actually sit in his lap and talk with the Father and to share the intimate stuff of your heart and your life without the sense that there would be judgment. The moment that you begin to transform, the moment that you say yes to Jesus and your heart and your mind and your soul begins to be transformed, immediately there's opposition. Sometimes from your friends, sometimes it's from the stuff, the lies that you've bought from inside and you don't know what to do with it. And God's saying, listen, come to the Father and sit in my lap and let me speak words of truth and love and of true value and of who you are. You are my child. I do not create junk. I do not make mistakes. And we're like, yes, you've made a mistake with me because look at all the mistakes that I've made. He said, no, come sit in my lap. Over and over and over again, opposition will come. The moment that you begin to transform, opposition will come. Verse 2. Here's the fun thing. There's always those courageous people that jump in on opposition when someone else starts it. You know those people? Okay, here we go. So this is the next guy coming up. So here's Sam Ballot. He starts, verse 2, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? And they are poor. This is the poorest of the poor. Those are the ones that were left behind. That's true. Do they think they can build a wall in a single day? Well, they're not trying to rebuild a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices. Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? You ever feel like that? 
you ever feel like the voices inside and others outside are, who do you think you are? The moment transformation begins to happen. Verse 3, then Tobiah the Ammonite. Some people get their courage from others. He was standing beside him and he remarked, the stone wall would collapse even though a fox walked along the top of it. He's saying, hey, listen, your wall is going to be such junk, you goldsmiths, you candlestick makers. It's going to be such junk that the moment even a little bitty light fox jumps on it and begins to walk across, it's going to crumble. And you know what? Some of them probably thought that that's probably true. Why are we even doing this? Is it even worth the effort? When God starts moving, critics arrive. They rise up, and if you see from Sambal and Tobias that there are plenty of people ready to criticize. There's people ready to watch, and they're watching, right? They're looking, they're observing, and they're just waiting for that moment for one rock to fall, and they'll begin to criticize and to say, I told you so, I told you, not even a fox. You're not qualified, you're not good enough. Here's what I think, here's what I believe. Criticism from others rises out of the conviction that they're sensing in themselves, that they see in you transformation, they see in you the beginnings of restoration and reconciliation, and that you're experiencing intimacy with the Father, you're growing and you're changing, you're getting, you're getting healthy in your finances, you're getting healthy with your life, and, and people are like, man, and so inside of them, they're looking at a mirror and they're saying, I wish that I could have that. But they're not willing to do the hard work. They're not willing to step into what it takes to do that. And so instead of doing it themselves, they begin to criticize you. So you can join their pity party. No one wants to party alone. And they're seeing you transformed, and so they want to drag you into it. And you've been there. You've been here. And people are down there criticizing, and you're like, hey, you want to join me? And if you've experienced it, they're going to pull you down. The criticism, if you listen to it and pay attention to it, it will pull you down. Acknowledge that they're there and say, listen, God, you, you are moving. Thank you. People are noticing. Look, look, my hips. They get it. It's confirmation that God is moving. What is your response to opposition? Listen, as a pastor, I never get criticism. And so I'm just going to tell you what I've heard from other people, okay? Here's what it says, what the Bible says. Our natural response is not holy, but to retaliate. Have you ever been there? Not, not me, but you guys. Have you ever been there? Somebody says something and you just want to like, good thing my hands are in my pockets, right? Good thing I've got a muzzle on my mouth because I've got some words. Like in, in seventh and eighth grade, I had the spiritual gift of cutting down. You know what that is? Where you go, like, hey, your mama, you got a greasy granny, got a, you know, all that stuff. Like, I, I was there. I was gifted. And so, and I would just go. And so it's not easy sometimes when you're criticized to just refrain and to step back. Because, listen, it's easy and natural to step forward. And, what again, what I said last week is everyone is not your friend. Everyone is not your friend. And so you have to be cautious. So in that moment when people begin to criticize, you have to step back and to look at those that are your friends and ask questions. Is this true? 
Is this real? What is there truth in this? And begin to sort through all of it. Because there are people, even Christians, that have the spiritual gift of criticism. And they think that it is their right and their role to just be the thorn in your side. You know, you know, you've experienced it. And maybe you're it. Maybe you've been in a season where you're it and you just have to step back and say, God, why am I criticizing someone else's work? Why am I criticizing someone else's transformation? What is it in me that is mirroring back where I am angry at what God is doing in them? Our natural response is not holy, but it's to retaliate. Look at verse 4 of Nehemiah. Then I prayed. That's our first response to criticism. As followers of Jesus, our first response wants to be like, come on. But it should be, let's step back. Let's get on our hands and knees before God and say, God, here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to do. But what is your thoughts? Hear us, oh God. For we're being mocked. May their scoffing, and he doesn't hold back. He's, he's still sharing his full emotions of how he feels. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. And may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. And if you think that God just wants... These little simple prayers, dear Lord, my heart is hurt because so-and-so said something about me. Dear Lord, may you love them. No, here's what David did consistently throughout the Psalms. He's like, God, take them out. Take that sucker out and let everyone know that I felt good about it and you felt better about it. Why? Because we're human. And somewhere we lose the fact that we're human, that God created us, and He wants us to express the feelings of our heart because we should be angry in righteousness over the things where people get in the way of stopping God's activity. Whether it's in your life or in the church's life or whatever it is, God is righteously angry, and there are moments in your prayers to say, God, take them out. And he's like praying, hear us, O God, may these walls, if they fall by a fox, may it crush Sanballat and Tobias. And all the people are like, yeah, woo, Nehemiah, that's what we want. That's what it should be. We should be honest in this. When we get a vision to fix something, Expect opposition to that restoration and fight the good fight and know that if God's called you to this, that he is for you, not against you, and he's going to work with you. And that that moment that you begin, the opposition starts, get on your hands and knees and say, God, I will fight with everything I've got, but I know that the fight begins here in prayer. Look at verse 6. And at last... The wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people worked with enthusiasm, with all of their heart. So even as Samballot and Tobiah the Amorite and these guys are like, you guys are not any good, you're just goldsmiths, with enthusiasm, literally it says encouraged. Their hearts were encouraged that Nehemiah and others were speaking courage to them, and it gave them the courage to continue to build the wall. So where they built it halfway up, even though the critics are offering up opposition. Here's the deal. Prayer changes our perspective. 
It lets us begin to see things from reality for what it really is. Prayer helps you sort the truth from fiction. Because those that are critics, they're going to give you half-truths and kind of throw stuff at you. Like, you're not qualified to do this. You're like, yeah, but God's called me to do it. Because none of us are qualified to do God's work. But we're called to do it. Prayer realigns our hearts with God's heart. Because don't you think in those moments... Sambal and Tobias are like, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And they're walking by, and Nehemiah walks by, and he's like, be encouraged. And they're like, but we're we're goldsmiths, be encouraged. It realigns your heart. Every time you begin to have a vision to fix what is broken, expect opposition to the restoration. In 4.9, actually 4.7 and 8, you think Tobias and them gave up? No. When Sambal and Tobias and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the work was, being, was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were excited. No, they were furious. They saw the gaps beginning to close in and they're like, this is for real people, this is happening, and we have said, no, it shouldn't. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. We're going to come and we're going to confuse the people. When you have a vision to fix what is broken, expect opposition to the restoration. Look at verse 4, or chapter, chapter 4, verse 9. But we did what? Prayed. We heard that more opposition was coming, so we just doubled down on our praying. But we prayed to our guard and guarded the city night and day to protect ourselves. They began to realize, hey, we've got to now do something else. We've got to pray, we've got to build, and now we've got to protect. Because opposition is not slowing down, it's speeding up. They're planning, they're coming heavy, with artillery, and we've got to be prepared for it. And so they doubled down. Critics will keep coming. As God begins to move and transformation begins to happen in your life and you begin to see victory in certain areas of your life, the critics will not stop. They will double down. And that's that moment where you need your friends around you to encourage you to speak truth to you, to speak the things to you that will build you up to not just finish halfway, but to complete the wall. Verse 10, then the people of Judah began to complain. The people doing work. The workers are getting tired, and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to rebuild the wall ourselves. Here's the thing. If God's called you to do something, and you begin to do it in your own strength and in your own wisdom, you will fail. It will get tiresome. And here's what I believe is that because of COVID, because of all this pause, many of us have recognized we've been living life in our own wisdom, in our own strength, in our own power, even as Christians, and we're realizing, man, my soul is tired. And we've been able to medicate for a little bit with Netflix and alcohol and pornography and all the different stuff that we medicate with, but now because our family's around, because people are around, we can't medicate like we used to medicate. And so now the tiredness of our souls are even more tired because we can't even escape anymore. And we can't medicate. The critics will keep coming. You're not good enough. Do you know the sins that are part of your life? Verse 11. Meanwhile, I think of this as kind of like the, in those moments of the soap office. In the days of our lives, meanwhile, in the days of our lives, Our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. 
critics will keep coming. Verse 12 and 13, the Jews who lived near the enemy came and they told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So what does, what does Nehemiah do? He says, so I placed armed guards around the lowest parts of the wall into the exposed areas and I stationed the people to guard by families and armed them with swords and spears and bows. So he continued to pray, continued to work, but he revised his plan. He knew that there were still gaps in the wall and he needed protection for us. Whenever we may have a vision for restoration in our life to fix what's wrong, expect opposition. And so even as you grow and you move and you get closer to victory, there's still going to be gaps in the wall. You're still going to have blind spots in your life. And that's where your friends can step in and say, I'm going to stand in the gap for Joe. I'm going to stand in the gap for Susie so they can continue the fight because your friends that truly know you know what you need to do to continue to get to the place of victory. And there are going to be moments where you think that you're almost done, that you're almost to this place, and you release your friends, and your friends say, it's almost done, so we're tired. And that's the moment that your friends have the most time that they need to stand in the gap and to stand and to keep watch for the enemy to attack until victory is complete. Fifty-two days, the wall was rebuilt, and the critics kept throwing it at them. So what's our response to opposition? We pray. We revise our plans along the way. We post guards where we need to post guards. And we remember. Look at verse 14. And then as I looked over this situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid. And if you remember, this is the same words that he said to Joshua before they entered into the promised land, do not be afraid, do not fear, trust in me, have courage in me. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember, this is a, an acknowledgement, a sense of worship. Worship me, remember me, the Lord who is great and glorious, and fight literally the spiritual battle, Ephesians 6. six. Fight the spiritual battle for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, in your homes. Because Nehemiah was telling them, look, you think you're building a wall. And you are. But it's so much more than a wall. You think you're getting healthy. You think you're fixing your finances. You think that you're working on your marriage and you're doing all those things. And those are good things. Those are the things that are broken that need to be fixed where restoration needs to be happened. But all of those things happen to do with this in our relationship with God. The things that are broken here are part of things that are broken here. The lies that we still tell ourselves that these things are okay disrupt this. And God says in those moments as you fix and work on this and work on this, and here's the beautiful thing, it's not in our own power and our own strength, but it's in his power and his strength. God's not about us just working harder, behavior modification, but he's about transforming our hearts through grace. But we have to join him in the work. What's broken in your world that needs to be fixed? Begin the work, but as soon as you begin the work, know that opposition is coming. The critics will arise. And it may be outside, it may be inside, but the critics will arise and they will keep coming. So begin to pray, 
Continually revise your plans and continue to worship. Continue to remember that the Lord has called you to this task. Let's pray together. Father, we in this room, the very moment that you call us and say what needs to be fixed, we know. We've got a list of things that need to be fixed, things that need to be worked on. Father, maybe we've tried it before and it hasn't worked. We've run into opposition. Maybe the opposition is ourselves. Maybe we've been too lazy. Maybe we've been afraid. Maybe there have been critics even at the beginning, and so we just backed away. Father, I pray that we would begin the work, begin to allow you to do the work of transformation and of rebuilding the wall in our lives. And expect opposition. And instead of pushing us away from you, may it draw us nearer to you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. One of the things that we talk about here quite a bit is we have a tendency to see other people's issues and to go, wow, I wish that they would have been. A lot of times what it is is when we see issues in other people, it's ours. We're just seeing it in them. And so we talk about quite a bit. Just draw the circle around yourself. Instead of worrying about fixing someone else, let's start the fixing right here. So maybe the wall that needs to be built, maybe the circle that needs to be built is your own circle and your own wall and say, listen, right in here, God, instead of criticizing over there, the grass may look greener, but I need to water my own grass and I need to do some work here. Instead of worrying about their yard and their yard and their yard, what about my yard? And I pray that you would begin to do that.